morning. How are you guys? It's good to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, today we're going to be turning to the book of Exodus, which ends up being essentially the second chapter of the book of the Bible, right? Genesis is that big first chapter. Uh, now this second chapter, the book of Exodus, and we'll be, we'll be reading at the very end of the book of Exodus in chapter 40, uh, starting at verse 34 on to the end of the chapter. So this is the word of our Lord. Um, this is one of the reasons we gather together today, so pay attention. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, They did not journey till the day that it was taken up, for the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and the fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Um, John Owen said, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we may as well throw away our Bibles. Pray with me now, asking the Spirit for the blessing um, now as we look to the Bible and the Word of God. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be here now with us and that you would show us something of the glory of Christ today as we gather together. Lord, glorify yourself in our midst today. In Christ's name, amen. I think this is the third time that I've been here preaching to you guys, and I have this memory coming here the very first time after I'd been on the East Coast for a few years and I came back. And I'm like, I'm going to, going to my people, I'm, I'm going to my church, and I, I get up and I look around and I'm like, I don't know a lot of these people. Because being gone for a few years, uh, there had been a lot of people that had moved, had moved away and others that had come and joined the congregation. And something that I often ask myself when going to our church or to other churches Um, either to bring the word or to receive the word, uh, the question that I ask myself is why? Why are we gathered together today? God calls us a a covenant people, a church, a community centered around Jesus. And I think there's a lot of good answers to that question of why are we gathered today. But I think one of the best answers is that we're gathered for God's presence in our lives. We're gathered as the people of God to taste something of his presence. And I want to ask you today, do you desire God's presence? Do you desire God's presence? And and before you say yes or no to that, uh, it might be worth asking, well, if you do desire it, what do you desire? Like, what is this thing, the presence of God? Because as you read the Bible, uh, there's, sometimes the presence of God looks like a consuming fire consuming Nadab and Abihu. Sometimes the presence of God looks like a smoke-covered mountain or a boat filled of terrified fishermen seeing the Lord Jesus Christ exercise his creational power over the sea and the storm. 
And we are much like Israel in a lot of ways. Um, We have God with us. God is present with us, and even uh, in us, God is there. And there's this promise of fellowship that we see at the beginning of the book of Exodus of, uh, you will be my people, I will be your God. There's that uh, promise of fellowship, of presence in Matthew 18, in the context of church discipline, where two or three are gathered to uh, exhort or admonish a brother, there God is. The end of Matthew, there's that presence in the Great Commission, lo, I am with you always. God met with Israel in the days of old, and he meets with us today, and I want to ask again, do you desire God's presence? And as we look to the book of Exodus, It's a book about God acknowledging the people that he had covenanted with. At the very beginning of the book, Exodus 2, verse 24, it says, So God heard their groanings, remember, they're in the land of Egypt in bondage, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. You see, one of the reasons we gather today is because God acknowledged us. And as he acknowledged them, if you remember the story in your Bible, he saves them from Egypt, he takes them out into the wilderness that he might have fellowship with them, that he might dwell with them, and he instructs them to build this thing called the tabernacle, which is this tent of meeting. It's this place where God comes and meets with his people out in the wilderness And without getting into all the details of the tabernacle, uh, just a couple things to note is, one, that it's in the midst of the people. Um, And in the midst of the people, there's that tabernacle with all the people surrounding it. And the tabernacle has the, the outer courts and the holy place and the holy of holies. But what I think is significant uh, as you're reading the book of Exodus is that Israel is able to go even into the Holy of Holies when they're constructing it. They're building it. They're they're setting up all these holy things. And it's not until our text today that they're not able to enter it. And what, what that means is that the significance of the tabernacle, later the temple, the significance of what we're doing today is fully contingent on God's presence. And for us, as Christians, as a covenant community, I want us to consider the idea that our flourishing as people of God is contingent on his presence in our lives. If God is not with us, then what we're doing today is utter foolishness. If God is with us, who can be against us? And as we look to this text, I want to see just a couple things um, about God's presence. And first, that it's, a, it's permeating. It's, it's filling. It's this permeating presence of God that you see there in the beginning of our section uh, in the end of Exodus 40. It says, Then the cloud, which is God, covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You know, prior to this, in Exodus 30, there's actually another tent of meeting outside of the camp where Moses would go and talk and meet with God. But now this glory of the Lord, the presence of, the, of God is brought right to the center, to the heart, to the tabernacle, right in the midst of the people Israel. 
And from the beginning of the Bible, there's this distancing between God and man. You remember in the garden that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they're pushed out of the garden. And there's example after example of of this distancing from God going down into Egypt. But then God, in his kindness, comes and, and brings them closer. He brings them closer. But even in that, Israel often uh, distances itself. If you look in uh, Exodus chapter 32, you'll see not only does God, throughout the uh, earlier books of the Bible, distance himself from Israel because of their sin or from mankind because of their sin, but in 32, you'll see in verse 7 that because of what the uh, people of Israel did, they distanced themselves from God. They're turning away from God. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They had made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And God's people are moving away from God. But in the narrative of Exodus, you see just a chapter after that, that Moses has a meeting with God, and he pleads with God according to his promises. In the next chapter, if you turn in your Bibles, it says in 33, 12 to 14, it says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See that you say to me, bring up the people. But you have not let me, down, let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, this is the Lord saying, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. See, this is a prime example of wrestling with God in prayer. It's going to God and pleading with him according to his promises. Promises like, do not be afraid, Abraham, I'm your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. Promises like, I will establish my covenant between you and me and your descendants after you. And promises of God's presence, like, I will dwell among the children of Israel. I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. And what we see in our section today, at the end of Exodus, is that plea with God from Moses, that plea of presence, is already manifesting in that God is moving toward his people to dwell in their midst. It's really like what Israel had seen from afar, outside of the camp, out on TV or something like that. It's now there in the living room. It's in their midst. And as we get to the New Testament, we see all these Old Testament passages in, through the lens of Jesus the Christ. We get to the Gospel of John in the very first chapter. 
And it says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And even in in that New King James translation, you're seeing something of this presence, this dwelling. But I think if you look more closely at the Greek word translated to dwell, it really has the idea of dwelling in tents, tabernacling. You see, as we turn to the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the God that tabernacles with his people. You might even think, you know, in this section in Exodus, it shows this fiery pillar, this smoke pillar. You imagine if it was out there, but now it's in the midst, what would you do? The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is here right now. He's more clear than fire or than smoke. Hebrews 1 says that he's the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. If you turn to 2 Corinthians um, 3, 7 uh, through 11, it says, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of the condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even... What was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. And it's not to say that the the dwelling in the tabernacle wasn't glorious. I think what's being said here is that the great has become the greatest in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that by the Spirit. We know that because the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And the temple that we see later in the Old Testament is really just another tabernacle. It's a more permanent tabernacle, and it carries a similar significance. But what's significant for us today about the tabernacle being the temple and the temple being the tabernacle is that the apostle Peter says that you all are living stones of the house of God. The apostle Paul says that you are temples of the living God. You're the place where God dwells. And God is present with all who believe Not more and not less. You know, sometimes I think, you know, if if God's presence depended on my emotional state, I I don't know if I, I could really get through the day. But the presence of God is resting on the promises of God, which rests on God's character and who he is. And God is present with you in fullness. Another implication of 
uh, being a temple, a place where God's glory rests, is that uh, the, the things in the temple and in the tabernacle are holy things. The Apostle Paul says that children of believers are holy. What he's saying is that if you're a child of a believer, that God places his name upon you. God calls you his own, which for you children should be an encouragement, and it should also call you to live according to what God calls you. It it should call you to be those who run to Jesus day in and day out, again and again and again in faith and repentance, committing your whole lives to God. We see that this this presence of God just just fills. Like it filled the tabernacle, it fills the church. It's permeating. But as soon as you get to the next verse, the presence of God is preventing. You see, it says, And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter there because... God was there. And it, it, I try to think about this, and it's really almost a terrifying idea, uh, the presence of God, if, if not approached rightly. And I, I try to think through it and try to illustrate it, and I find that every illustration kind of ends up falling flat. But I, I don't know if, if you're watching uh, Netflix or, or things like that. Sometimes I get these ads for these like National Geographic documentaries, there's one that, that always kind of captures uh, my, really my eye as I see it. There's this uh, one, it's these videos from, it looks like the 50s or 60s, and these people are getting close to volcanoes to take pictures of them. And they're wearing all this protective gear that, that looks like almost something from Huxley's Brave New World or something like that, but it's like this like covering head to toe And when I read a passage like this, that the glory of the Lord, the terrifying glory of the Lord comes and rests in the middle of the people Israel, I think of that volcano. But then I think of Israel, and I think they don't have any protective gear. They don't have what they need to approach God. And what you, uh, here, I think Matthew Henry helps us here, um, where maybe illustrations fall flat. Matthew Henry says, this shows how terrible the glory and majesty of God are and how unable the greatest and best of men are to stand before him. The divine light and fire let forth in their full strength will overpower the strongest heads and the purest hearts. What he's saying is your mind isn't strong enough to earn you a right to the presence of God. Your heart isn't pure enough that you wouldn't be consumed by God's holy presence. And as you read the uh, next chapter of the Bible, the book of Leviticus, you see that the answer to this question of how can we approach God, how, how if Moses can't approach God, you know, certainly we can't, how do we approach God? The answer is the priest. And without going too far into the priesthood, I think it's helpful for us to remember that one, the priests of the Old Testament in their sacrificing had to sacrifice again and again and again. But the priest, 
that we gather together today to worship God standing in, standing on, depending upon, is the one who sacrificed himself once and for all. In Hebrews 9 it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You see, the word became flesh, that he might be that, the right priest that we need, that we might enter into God's presence. And what's significant is what we're doing today, gathering for the presence of God, what you are, a, a temple of the Lord, where the, the God uh, of, the, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they dwell in you. What's significant about that is what we're doing today doesn't parallel what Moses was able to do. What I mean by that is Moses couldn't enter into the Holy of Holies, yet we do it today because of what Christ did and because the Spirit was given to the church. And and I don't mean this to uh, diminish the fact that Old Testament believers were part of the covenant of, of grace, that they believed on the Messiah to come and that they received fellowship. But today... In the new covenant, we gather together in the presence of God, united to the risen Lord, the priest that allows us to enter into God's presence. That's why Hebrews 4 says we can approach God boldly. The throne of grace, the place where God is, the the place where where God uh, rests, where he abides. And we come boldly not because of anything in ourselves, but because of what Christ has done. Which means that this preventing presence of God becomes welcoming presence. It means that where Moses couldn't go, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're offered to come here today. Which means we need faith. Because it's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that brings us into union with him. And in that, we receive all the benefits of the new covenant. We receive the benefits of presence with God. And it's a call to faith. So so today, I I would say, if you don't know the Lord, if you haven't experienced the, the presence of God and fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit, today's the day. But it's also a call to worship. You see again and again and again this steady drumbeat of the Lord's day, week after week after week, a continual call to worship God, call to dwell with where God is, call to his constant permeating presence is call is coming to you and to me again. Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then a last aspect of God's presence. I didn't have another P word, um, so I added the word perfect. Uh, God's perfect governing presence. God's perfect governing presence, um, which is what we see in the next half. Um, And it's constant. We see that at the end of the chapter, 
for the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and the fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all the jour- their journeys. 24-7, day and night, the fi- cloud of, uh, of smoke and the pillar of fire is present in the middle of the people Israel. Day after day and night after night. And I want to ask you, how does uh, presence affect you? And there's really a lot of different presences that affect us. Uh, The presence of a person entering the room might affect you. Uh, I I remember the summer going uh, camping with the uh, church youth backpacking trip that I lead every year. And we had gotten to V Lake at about one o'clock and the sky's blue. And I'm like, oh, things look nice here. And I'll just, I'll set my stuff down. I'll make a cup of coffee and enjoy it. And then pretty soon I see over the ridge, this large, smoky, dark cloud. And you can see underneath it, that the, the, your vision of the landscape is being distorted by the rain falling. And the presence of that cloud called me to something. I, I sat down, uh, set down all my coffee stuff and went and set up my tent just in case I had to go shelter under it. How much more with the presence of God? When the word becomes flesh and dwells with his people, when God shows himself to you in the gospel of his son, How much more is that a call to action? A call to changing your ways. A call to seeking God, approaching Him, and obeying Him. Which is why we need to read our Bibles daily, pray daily, be consistent in going to church, because it's these things that are a constant reminder of the presence of God that, that doesn't come and it doesn't go but the presence of God that's there, and, and we might sense that it's gone because we're blind, but God's there and he calls us to be those who seek his presence. And what it does is it gives us this constant obedience, which you see in verse 36 and 37, which is interesting. Uh, if you know your Old Testament well, oftentimes Israel is told um, that they're disobeying God, but here is maybe... Uh, a better spot on the record. It says, Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. They, they threw away their, their uh, calendars and their time stamps, and they were just saying, God, if you're telling me to go this way, I'll go that way. If you're going to stay and keep me here, I will stay here. And we see in Luke 10, with this constant constant, uh, obedience following the perfect governing presence of God. Luke 10, he says, He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. I think what the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us in that is that when the message of the gospel goes out, when the preacher preaches, when you share the Lord Jesus Christ to your neighbor, the presence of God is being brought before your face. Jesus Christ is being placed before you. 
which means his presence is there, and you can either accept that and fellowship with God, or you can reject him in rebellion and in sin. But the place where the presence is found is the place where Jesus is spoken about. It's the place where God is worshipped. I really like this uh, section in our Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter uh, 14, paragraph 1. It says, The grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. And it says this, And is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, which also and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer is increased and strengthened. What it's saying is the place where God's presence is clearly seen is in the public worship. It's when the pastor gets up and preaches. You know, I have a friend that says, if you want to get hit by a train, you got to play on the train tracks. If you want to get hit by the word of God, you go to worship. You open your Bibles in the morning and in the evening and you pray. And you look to the sacraments. So do you desire the presence of God? Because you can't escape it, really. God is an ever-present God. He's present everywhere and with everyone at every time. The, the difference is the covenant presence of God, the fellowship, or being an enemy of God. And with this, uh, as we remember as Jesus' people, the, the, the people of the word, uh, those who turn to God again again in faith and repentance, and it's calling us to new obedience, uh, this is what it looks like. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not a burden. For whatever is, is born of God overcomes the world. One of the great things about the Reformed faith is that we see the law of God as something to delight in. That we see the law of God as as something to reorient our lives around. As we remember that Christ says to his church, Lo, I am with you always, and that his presence is here today, and that it brings us into better conformity to God's law, I want to give you ten good reasons from the book of Exodus, um, uh, 10 good uh, ways to take the presence of God and apply it to your lives. In the book of Exodus, not Genesis, 10 good ways. Way number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any like, anything uh, of the likeness that, of those that are in heaven above or that are in the earth beneath. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Number five, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. 
And then 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And I could give you two bonus ones. Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it looks like to be a flourishing Christian. To walk in the way of God's law, not that you might earn his favor, but because you love the law. You love the law because you love the law giver. And God's presence is constant with his people, which means when we don't feel the presence, we go back to the promises of God again and again and again, that he is present. We pray that our our subjective experiences would be aligned with the objective reality that God is a present God. We go and we worship and we seek God's face. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, uh, we adore you. We love you. We thank you that you are present and that the word did become flesh and tabernacled with us. And that, Lord, again and again, you show us something of who you are. You show us your glory. We pray, Lord, that as we live today on this day, the Lord's Day, that we would continue to know your presence, that we know that you are present in the difficult times and in the easy times. Lord, you're present when we're doing the dishes for the 50th time that day or changing the 400th diaper. Lord, you're present when we are wetting our pillow with tears. Lord, you're present when our bodies groan and when our souls groan. And we pray, Lord, that you would call us to a new apprehension of who you are and what you do and call us to new obedience. Lord, forgive us of our sins and bring us to you again and again. In Jesus' name, amen.